Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. You know, a theme of this show, whether you notice it or not, is harm reduction. How do we reduce the harms we do to each other? How do we reduce the harms we do to ourselves? This episode is a little bit more explicitly about harm reduction. It's an interview with Stephanie Whittles-Wax. She has a new podcast coming out that you've heard me talk about before. It's called Last Day. It's about people's last day on Earth. And this season is about people who have died of opioid overdoses. Stephanie Whittles-Wax lost her brother Harris to an opioid overdose. And I have very nearly lost someone dear to me. If her show sounds like it might be kind of, to put it frankly, a downer, and if this episode sounds like it might be a downer, I want to assure you of a couple things. One, uh, it's not. Um, it's possible to talk about these things and keep a sense of humor intact. That's some, one of the things I've learned in the rooms of AA. And the other thing I want to tell you is it's okay if you don't want to listen right now. This is not a traditional content warning but it's one I'll throw out there anyway. This is an explicit conversation about overdoses and addiction and death. And that's a lot. But I think it's worth it. So please, stay with me. Stephanie Whittles-Wax, coming right up. Stephanie Whittles-Wax is the co-founder of Luminata Media, the host of The Last Day podcast, which launched this week, and the author of Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragicomic memoir of genius, heroin, love, and loss. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So tell the listeners what your show is about. And they'll understand all these pauses, all these pregnant pauses we're having. I know. It's very dramatic. I know. What is the show about? Um, it's about the things that are killing us. Uh, that's the, that's the, short, the short version. Uh, we hear about these epidemics, these mass epidemics, and we have these huge statistics and these big numbers. And at some point, I find, even though I've been ter- personally touched by this, that you kind of zone out and you become desensitized and sort of apathetic as you scroll through Twitter and, oh, another one died. You know, it's it's hard to wrap your head around 72,000 people dying of opioid overdoses in one year or 400,000 people dying since 1999. That's a lot of people. I can't get there. I can I can understand one person. I know one person has a family and people who love them and a community. And so our goal is to humanize these epidemics, put a, put a real first-person story face on them. Uh, and we start with opioids because, unfortunately, that's the, the one I know best. Yes. Um, your brother passed away from an overdose. He did. He, uh, my brother, was and is Harris Whittles. Um, I get really hung up on past tense, present tense when talking yeah. about dead people um, who I love so much. And I think I say you can use love. present tense. I think that they're always with us. Okay. Thank you. Then I'm going to just stick with that right. um, convention for today. So my brother is Harris Whittles. He, in addition to being my brother, my only sibling, we were 
the kind of siblings that were extremely close. Uh, we were each other's keeper of secrets, um, sidekicks. You know, I envisioned my whole life playing out with him very much in it. And he, in addition to being that person for me, was a person to a lot of other people. He was a stand-up comedian. He wrote for Sarah Silverman program, Parks and Recreation, Master of None. He invented the word humble brag. I know you've used that word because everyone uses that word. That's such an amazing legacy. I I think he, can can we say, so another thing about him and why other, why some people might be familiar with him is that he did an amazing interview um, on another podcast that wound up being about his addiction. And so I feel like I know him a little bit, right? From this yeah. interview. So I think I can say this, which I think he would appreciate that humble brag is his legacy. Yes. Yes. Am I wrong? <laughs> yes. No, you are. You are. It's so funny. I'll be I like a site recite his whole resume. And then I get to that. Yeah, and people of are course, like, I think get out of town. <laughs> I think people would. I think he would find that hilarious. Absolutely. I mean, to get a word into the dictionary is like a pretty big deal. Yeah. So. Yeah, he he was a brilliant human being, and I should sorry, and I should say it was a you made it weird, right? That was the podcast. Yes, you made on. it weird with with Pete Holmes. Yeah. Yes, where he went into very uh, intense detail for about two hours about his addiction, and it was interesting. And I get into the show, but once he had done that podcast and it aired, he had already relapsed. Mm. And it played and he was saying all these things about how he knows that if he uses again, he's going to die. And he knows what what the stakes are. And, and, you know, he had used anyway at that point, which is which is part of the disease and part of what we talk about in the show. But, um, you know, people are like, you know, why are you doing it? Why are you doing the show about opioids? And it's like, do you think I wanted to do a show about opioids? Like when I thought when I looked at my future as a child, I thought. What I always wanted to do is a show about opioids uh, mm-hmm. because I lost my brother. But it's like you you fall into things, you know, things touch you and you don't expect it. And that's where we are. Um, and I believe that Harris's humor is uh, something I taught him completely. Oh, oh okay. Humble brag. Me. I'm going to just like take, it's not even that humble. It's like no, it's pretty a brag. overt brag. It's a brag. It's a brag. So just a straight brag. I was the older sibling, so... I mean, I'm I'm trying to do the show, and and I think it's working uh, in a very accessible, casual, humorous, when possible way. We use wit. Uh, it is a shockingly hopeful show. Mm. Uh, when I was getting into it, I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be such a bummer," you know. And really, the opposite has happened because we're talking to all of these people who are in the space, incredible people. I, I sort of think of it like the wire, you know, like mm. we're we're looking at it from every angle where you're diving so deep and we talk to harm reductionists and interventionists and people running a variety of treatment facilities all over the country and policymakers and mayors and, you know, families and support groups and, you know, getting this huge picture of what's going on. And what we're finding is that there are solutions. It is not a death sentence. It is not something that has to be fatal. It can be a chronic illness. And of course- People who are familiar with this podcast, if you've probably listened to just one other episode, you will know that I'm in recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. 
Opioids were not my thing. I feel very fortunate to never have come across them. Uh, I was prescribed my first drug, though. I was prescribed Xanax, and I never bought an illegal drug, which is another thing that I know some opioid uh, users have in common. Yeah, it is. It's this interesting thing where, you know, we seem to have prescribed our way into this crisis. You know, there's a lot of different parts of this, obviously, but we overprescribed opioids and now we are in a huge mess of them. And what we found is that they absolutely 100% rewire your brain. Mm -hmm. And once that happens, it is very difficult to wire it back. That's a scientific term. Wire it back. <laughs> I actually <laughs> thank you for coming to my science podcast. Um, yeah, my my mother in law uh, has um, a relationship with the Columbia School of Psychiatry, and they do a lot of brain imaging, neuroscience uh, stuff around addiction. I've seen the slides. Um, it does literally rewire addiction of any kind. Uh, rewires mm-hmm. your brain, and a lot of recovery is is as you so eloquently put it, <laughs> rewiring or doing new wiring. Um, yeah, building Getting the electrician in. <laughs> yeah, b- building new pathways is another way we talk about it. And I, another thing people might know, actually, I don't. I don't talk about this as much. Is that you know, being in the recovery community, I have a lot of friends, close friends uh, that are in recovery. And one of those friends almost became a statistic that could have been featured in your show. I, um, he was visiting me and he overdosed in front of me. And... I have to say, Stephanie, like, I I have described it as the worst thing in my life, like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, you know, my mother died from addiction to alcohol, and she had dementia towards the end, and that was really, really hard. She didn't recognize me. That would—but that's the second worst. Um, having someone that you care about— you know, like almost be over. That's why I have I have not been able to think about listening to your show. I am so sorry. I um, that sounds like a horrific experience. I cannot imagine. But um, I can kind of imagine. But <laughs> actually, kind of imagine. so. But now I have to say. So my story actually ends okay, right? Yeah, yeah. But when I first heard about your show, I was imagining his story, if it had gone a different way. And I was thinking, what would you get out of it, you know? And I think, you know, everyone has a story worth telling. I think that's part of what you're doing, right? Just everyone has a story worth telling. But I think there's more there, too. 
Um, like just thinking about my friend, I was thinking about, well, he lived in a sober house and there's kind of no, people don't know what sober houses are. And, you know, yeah. uh, he'd been to treatment a thousand times. That's a slight exaggeration, but. <laughs> no, that's fact. I'm sure that's, that's like my science. Yeah. Um, you know, he, uh, was cross addicted to stuff. People don't know what that is. So, I mean, I, I can see, you know. Oh, yeah, people would learn something. Is that is that what you're also getting at? You know, it's interesting because, like I said, when I started my relationship with the show, my own relationship has changed. What I thought the show was going to be and what it has become is so vastly different, which I think is part of creating anything. You know, you have this set idea of what you're creating and then it sort of takes on a life of its own. And so... That wasn't, I think, originally the plan, right? The plan originally was create this space where we are talking about this thing that is pushed into shadows, that is so stigmatized that people still have so much trouble talking about, get it out in the open, make a space for people to feel a sense of community and that was sort of the the long and short of it. What's ended up happening is that we have absolutely done that. You should see the emails we're already getting. They are astounding and really sad. And we have a really huge problem in this country. Uh, P.S. But what's happened is I am being so educated, you know, we and it's fascinating. And and like it's interesting because when you're describing your experience with your friend, what you did is that you engaged in harm reduction. You didn't know that's what you were doing, but (laughs) that's exactly what you did. And I wouldn't have known that before doing the podcast, that what you did is that you were present when he overdosed, which is exactly what we're trying to do with these overdose prevention. I suspected he was going to use in my home. I did not know for sure. Um, right. But that is, that is the case with most loved ones of addicts, right? Um, Absolutely. Uh, you suspect Absolutely. and you think the chances are good. I do. Yeah. I do wish I had I had had Narcan. And, and people have asked me, like, don't you think that just would have increased the chances that he was going to use? And I'm like, yeah, he was nope. going to use like, nope. yeah, he was going to use if he was going like- to use. And I mean, I'm just very, very fortunate. There was a fire station down the street. They got there in just I think it was under five minutes. Um, yeah. And that is why he lives today is because of Narcan. Right. And telling somebody that they shouldn't have Narcan is like telling somebody they shouldn't have a condom. It's the same thing. It's like, oh, well, if there's no condom, then there's no sex that's going to happen. OK. You yeah, know, it's that's, like that's very similar. I was also <laughs> thinking just not having a first aid kit. Like, OK, sure. Yeah. Like, I mean, because it's that even more because to me, it's even more basic. Like, yeah, yeah. It's because this is going to sound really crazy, but like having sex is more optional than using for an addict. (laughs) Sure, 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 sure. Having I guess I do believe you can be addicted to sex, but it is more of a choice. An addict, the the choices, that's how we describe it to each other. You know, and I think people who know understand it's no, no longer a choice. Once you have that first drink or drug, you have lost your power to make decisions, good decisions. So it is more like asking a diabetic to stop being diabetic Mm -hmm. and not having any insulin around. 
if I have insulin around, he's just going to continue being diabetic. Right. And that's that's what I mean. It's like you're not enabling somebody with an addiction to use because you have Narcan in the house. It's like an EpiPen. Let's just keep doing sim- sim- similes, <laughs> We're gonna metaphors. Hit on, actually, all We're of these work. One. All of these We're gonna work. We're going to get one that works. No, they all this work. This is the they new show. They all work. They all work. I'm serious. They all work. Yeah. Yeah. And I but think, like these are the things I wouldn't have known, okay. you know, had I not done the show. It's like I wouldn't have known what an overdose prevention site is and why it's important and why you should have Narcan. And, you know, like you're you're always in close proximity to somebody who's using. I promise you, you are. You may not know it, but you are. You know, it's like, why not? Why not have a nebulizer is that a word that's not what i want it is say. i the believe that, it, that actually is the word yes the you're word, more, you should thing, be more the, confident of your science you, the red thing <laughs> the I'm nasal the red thing on the, the nasal wall. delivery system <laughs> for narcan which is the one that is easier to train on although the injection one is also pretty easy to train on and people yeah, should know so by the way i don't know if people know this i feel like a public service announcement right now you can get narcan over the counter in most states i want to say you know you can get it in minnesota um <laughs> And I also know that in Minnesota, there is a Good Samaritan law. Like, I was not using with my friend. I was sober at the time. But if I had been using, um, I would have been fine. The police were not going to bother me. By the way, though, I think a funny part of this story, although obviously there's it's tragic comedy, um, when the police did come to collect my friend and they asked me if there was any more drugs in the house— I said, I hope there are. You'd arrest his ass. <laughs> Comedy is everywhere. I was Comedy so mad. I everywhere. was mad. You can, yeah. like, I was, you know, because although I understood, I understand the disease of addiction, I was still like, yeah, you motherfucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. But I, I think a lot of people don't understand. I think a lot of people still do not understand the disease of addiction. I think they don't. And you know what? You know how I know that? Because I have gotten, I can't even tell you how many times online, the greatest place online where people have said stuff in comment threads or, you know, whatever. My brother was a public figure. So, you know, they've carte blanche to say whatever they want, that he's a junkie, that he deserved to die. Anyone that sticks a needle in their arm is, you know, basically useless, a total piece of shit, whatever. It's like, I would love for those people to listen to my show, Mm. frankly. I would love for them to learn because like when you think of the, this sort of thing that feels like this is only happening to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you are an American, it is happening to you. It's like if you, it's very similar when I think about it to the HIV epidemic, you know, and when that started, it was like, this is a, this is a gay disease. We don't have to touch this. And now that we've accepted that it is a medical issue, it's, it's close to being eradicated, you know? Well. But if oh, we you keep, mean the AIDS. I was like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. If we yeah, keep, right. you know, the opioid thing over there, mm-hmm. we're never going to make progress. And, and it's killing more people now than car accidents. So, like, we, got, we, got, we, have, to, we have to talk about it. And the show is really well done. It's fun. It's going to be good for your ears. It'll be pleasant to listen to. Do you think? What do you I'm, think? I'm, do you I'm, think? Tor- I'm torn. I think I have some more therapy to do. Um <laughs> I'll ask my therapist about it. Uh, okay. I'm, te- I'm, you know, one reason, because a part of me wants to think I don't need this because I already, I understand the disease of addiction. I've been through yep. what is almost, what is the prologue to your stories, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But then, as actually my little you arrest that motherfucker story tells, you can be deeply embedded in the solution to addiction. You can be a part of a recovery community and you can lose sight of the fact that it's a disease because our emotions are so strong. I don't think there's a yes. single person out there who has a relationship with an addict, has a, a, who loves an addict, who can keep in their mind all the time. This is a disease. I need to understand that. No fucking way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when, I, when I was dealing with my brother, oh my gosh, I, I thought he was made of devil. I, I, was, I, was, I was furious, 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 furious. And it took... Truly, like, why Why is he doing this to me? Yeah. Oh, why yeah. is he being so selfish? It feels like and, betrayal. And ruining just, my life. Again, again, as yes. an addict, as someone who did this to other people. Right, right. I still felt betrayed. For sure. You know, and so I actually have to ask you, do you sometimes get a little angry still? It's so interesting because I'm nearly five years out. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it changes. Mm -hmm. It's like you, when I wrote my book, I was, I wrote my book in nine months in the year that he, after he died. So he died. And then three months later I started writing and there was so much rage Mm -hmm. and anger. And I remember when I went back to edit it, you know, like you don't edit your book until a year or so later, I wanted to take that stuff out. (laughs) I was ashamed of it. You know, I was like, I sound like such a jerk. I I don't want to. And I had a great editor and she encouraged me to keep that intact because it's honest and it's where I was. And the longer I have away from it, a lot of that anger goes away because I'm not actively being betrayed by him anymore. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, he's not missing the family functions. He's not flaking out on us. He's not doing all the things that made me so angry. And now what mostly remains is is just my deep love and, and pride and for, for all that he accomplished. And I think doing the show too has also put me closer in touch with what he was going through. Like I, I watched this movie the other day and I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to, I don't want to bash anybody's work because people work really hard on their art and I don't want to like say that their art was bad. But this art but, was bad. Are you going to say this art was bad? <laughs> I'm going to say that I didn't think it honestly depicted okay. yeah. what no. it's like. Oh, I mean, what I'm gonna don't say. get me started on depictions of addiction in pop culture. But Perfect. you actually almost got me started. <laughs> okay, this is now what the podcast is about. So I, I was like literally watching it. Okay, that could actually screaming. be a good podcast. Hold on just a second. Let's just mark this <laughs> because I think a podcast where like you and I watched a movie about addiction yes. and yes. then just like tore it, it apart it. for like everything yes. it got wrong or right or right. I think that that yep. would be... That could be, that could actually be a good show. <laughs> I, that's our next show. Okay. That's our next show. I'm, I'm on it. I'm, we're going to produce it All at right. Lemonada. I can't wait. Um, Cause there's so many. There are so many. So there many are so them. many. And there's, there's so, again, so wrong. So wrong. I know. And this is so funny. Cause right now I'm like totally, I'm where you are because I had refused to watch this movie. I was like, I'm not watching this movie. I don't want to see this movie. I lived through this. Why do I need to watch this movie? Mm-hmm. Same like as you were like, I don't want to listen. Why would I listen to your podcast? I lived through this. <laughs> and, um, and then I ended up watching it 
uh, because I, you know, hate myself or I don't know no, why. No, no, <laughs> I don't allow people to say that kind of thing. No, you got to a place where you thought you could. No, you know you what I mean. Pla- I, yeah. And you got to a yes. place where you're like, no, I can take this. I can do this. Yes. I can, this will and be I was interesting. Curious. Yes, this I will was be curious. interesting. It's like, how are they depicting this? And you know what? Uh, it was so, it made me so angry because mm. the way that they depicted this guy with the addiction was that he was, he was selfish. They, they portrayed him with zero empathy, zero compassion for what he was going through. And I was so tuned into his experience, not the other person who was, who was not dealing with the addiction, you know, mm-hmm. not the other person in relationship with him. I, I was so angry and I thought there's no way that whoever made this movie has any direct experience with what it's like to love somebody with an addiction. I don't believe that they do because if they did, they would not produce this kind of film. Yeah. And I, and sure enough, like I deep dived, I looked and it's they nothing. They had not been touched by it at all. And so I feel like, like my presenting this, mm-hmm. like I love my brother. I love him. He is the best. I will never present him without including that because your addiction like doesn't define you. It's not like you're just a total shithead because you have an addiction. It's, it's, it's your struggle. It's where you are. And so I don't know. I just feel like I, while I don't want to be talking about opioids 7,500 hours of the day, I, I feel like it's important for people who have experienced it and have dealt with it and have something to bring to the space that is honest and true to bring it to the space. I feel like, I, again, sort of as the identified patient um, in this conversation. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I can do all the rehab talk. Um, yep. uh, I know your lingo. <laughs> <laughs> the IP. The yes. IP, yeah. <laughs> um, I can say this, which is that we are selfish, but just not just selfish. Like, I don't, I think that, I understand, I think I understand what you're saying about the portrayal. Um but it's also true that we can be real dicks, you know, like that's part of it. And right? that happens. That's a symptom. Yeah, that's a symptom. It is a symptom. You're right. That's the thing. It is a symptom. And, you know, I want to go back to like whether or not you're still angry. I, so the place where I draw some, I try to draw some identification with your experience on that is that, as I said, my mother passed away from uh, cirrhosis. And... I can still feel flickers of anger at her about that. But I also think the reason why I still want to, I I am always motivated to work on my relationship to the disease, let's say, and keeping it a disease, right? Mm -hmm. Is that the other thing that comes up is just a vast sense of injustice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is a different kind of anger, right? Yep. Yep. Why did this happen to her? Yes. Oh, my gosh. And that's not particularly healthy either. (laughs) I mean, it's it's understandable. And it's maybe the one, the kind of anger that lasts the longest. Right. Oh, but that that actually. Yeah. I. Whoa. I shouldn't talk about it too much because I can get pretty rageful. Like, oh, yeah, I, I, oh, <laughs> yeah, this is our next podcast. Um, we have so no, no, many no, good that, podcast ideas. Oh, my gosh. It's it's just coming out here. Get a, get a pen and a paper. Uh-huh. Uh, no, that part, I can't, exp- I can't even tell you how many times I have 
Why? Why? Why him? Why me? Why us? Why is the sky falling on us? You know, Mm -hmm. like it's this, it is not fair. It is not fair. I've said that. I just, you know, can't even count. Mm -hmm. And I think what I, what I get angry about when I get angry and I'm like very impassioned. I've got a lot of feelings. I'm totally, totally. We're, cool we're both, I mean, like, none of this is that far that. away for either of us. My mom died eight years ago, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I but consider I, that pretty fresh. I don't know about anyone absolutely. else. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even when I say five years, I'm like, five years. That's, that's yesterday, right? But yeah. I feel angry that my life doesn't have him in it now you know Mm -hmm. I feel angry that my kids have been robbed of their badass uncle Mm -hmm. and that my parents have been destroyed I feel angry about that because uh my dad is you know just a shell and my mom you know like I remember when I was when I they called me the detective called me to tell me that Harris had died Mm-hmm. And I was changing a diaper. <laughs> I was like in a public space. And I remember thinking that this was horrific. And I lost, I mean, I, I lost all knowledge of time and space and universe and whatever. But I remember thinking, oh, I have to tell my parents. I'm going to have to tell my parents now. And that's going to be an even worse moment. Because once I tell my mom her world is just going to be done, like destroyed. She's never going to be able to enjoy another day in the same way she's lived to this point, you know? And I feel like I'm furious still about that stuff. But I feel like my anger isn't directed towards him anymore. My my empathy has gone really high for him. Whereas like when... He was living with the addiction when our family was living with the addiction, when the addiction was like everything we talked about constantly. That's all it was. I had pretty much no empathy for him, you know, and now that time has passed and I've done more work and I've done, you know, excruciating amounts of therapy. And I and by excruciating, I mean, I love therapy and, uh, (laughs) you know, and like all of that. I feel like now I'm like my brother had a disease and he died and that and that really sucks. And I love him. But fuck, this sucks. You know, it's like that. <laughs> Does that make sense? It makes total sense. <laughs> and we're going to take a short break and come back and continue to, uh, I guess, um, work through some shit. That's what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that 70% of people say they want to use natural products, but only 2% do? That's why Grove Collaborative makes finding healthy, affordable, effective formulas easy and convenient. Now over 500,000 American households shop Grove for their healthy home essentials. Grove Collaborative is the online marketplace that delivers all natural home, beauty, and personal care products directly to you. It takes the guesswork out of going green. Every Grove product is guaranteed to be good for you, your family, and your home, and the planet. I am a Grove customer and... I like their natural products. It is true. I have to say, I actually really like their sort of cleaning accessories. I am pretty picky about the things that are on my counter. And it's taken me a long time to find like the perfect sponge 
brush and soap caddy. And I know this makes me sound weird, but Grove has one. It is a place to put your sponge, a place to put your brush, a place to put this thing that they sell that's like a little like smaller brush. And it has a bar on the backs that if you use one of those Swedish washcloths, And if you use one, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't look it up, it's kind of a cellulose washcloth that you can reuse over and over. It takes the place of lots of paper towels. Anyway, it has a hanger for that. It has everything you need on your counter. And like I said, I use the organic cleaning products too. Everything is one place. They have the best selection of natural home and personal care products. Things for your house, your kids, your dogs, your cats, and even some fun personal items. Their site is easy to use and they offer reoccurring shipments. They deliver everything right to your front door. I do not have to worry about running out of things. Well, sometimes I run out of things, but I do have a reoccurring order with Grove. Now, for a limited time, when my listeners go to grove.co slash friends, you'll get a free five-piece fall gift set from Mrs. Myers and Grove, and I use almost exclusively Mrs. Myers stuff myself. So from Mrs. Myers and Grove, a fall scent set, you can choose from apple cider, acorn spice, mum, and pumpkin spice. I am kind of a sucker for pumpkin spice myself. I don't care how basic. Go to grove.co slash friends to get this exclusive offer. That's grove.co slash friends. With Friends Like These, it's brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a long-time passion project, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes for you. I personally like looking at their lifestyle classes because... For one thing, there's kind of the hilariously meta class about how to teach a Skillshare class. And then also there's classes about stuff that maybe you didn't realize you needed a class for, like finding planner piece, discovering what planner system works for you. I have, I don't even want to think about the landfill that could be created by the number of journals that I started and did not finish. So maybe I need to take that class. Um, There's also an interior design class that looks kind of interesting. There are classes for using certain productivity apps, which I do feel like some of those productivity apps, you need a class to learn how to be productive with them. They're not necessarily intuitive. So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. You can get two months of Skillshare free. That's right. Skillshare is offering with friends like these listeners two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Admit it. You want to look at that planner's class, too. I know you guys. You do. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash friends. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash friends to start your two months now. Say that fast. Skillshare.com slash friends. Like admitting you have a problem is is the easiest thing an addict or alcoholic can do, really. Mm-hmm. Like, well, not second second easiest, but it is like you. Like I knew I had a problem for years, years, and did nothing about it. Mm. So I don't think that counts as a step. Like you are still standing still. You are like running in place. When, <laughs> and. Harris is actually a good example of this, too, right? Because he knew what was happening to him. Oh, yeah. He's no dummy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a quote in the big book of AA that something, I can't remember the exact thing, but something like self-knowledge did us no good. 
And um, I think that's another thing people don't understand about addicts and alcoholics is like, you don't need to tell us what's, what's happening. You don't, you know, we see, we know. Right. We know. That's not the, that's not going to be the thing that helps us. But can I ask you something? Yeah. Because I, I have a lot of things. (laughs) Addiction isn't one of them. (laughs) There's a lot of things, but that's not one of them. Is the self-knowledge what leads to the self-loathing? Because my... Ooh, that's a good question. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah, you like, probably do have a good podcast. Um, <laughs> thank you. You should listen to it. Yeah. Oh, God, it's going to like... Maybe I can have my therapist with me. <laughs> <laughs> I totally condone that. Um, Always. Maybe we'll kind of, if I, I get him to download it too, like it'll be two downloads for you. So... Um, <laughs> Great. Everyone do multiple downloads of every show, by the way. My kids that have counts. to eat, guys. Um, they have to eat. So were you, sorry, you, had, you were going to continue your excellent question. What no, was this is, my question is, I can't, my brother texted me, told me, called me, said to me in my face so many times just how much he hated himself, how, how he knew he was destroying the family. He knew he was... I could just, his, it, it just like, oh God, even like thinking about it right now, it's just like bringing like a thing in my throat. Cause I just would see his suffering like that he was causing himself. And that doesn't seem to me like a lack of self-knowledge. No. So my question is like, does that, like, is that the thing that you, you know it, but you can't stop it? And that leads to the self-loathing? Okay. I can't speak obviously for Harris's experience. Um, but I've thought a lot about this issue for myself. And I think the two things are intertwined, the self-loathing and the self-knowledge, but they're, they're separate. I think could not tell you which comes first because I also believe that addiction is a, you know, family disease. I believe it's genetic. I believe I was born an alcoholic. Um, I think it's possible to have your alcoholism kind of not switched on as it were. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the disease was like, I had the personality, right? Mm -hmm. I had the behaviors, some of which, by the way, are awesome, Right. Like, I don't think it's an accident that there are tons of alcoholics in creative fields. I don't think that's chance. I think we do tend to be really good liars. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. tell tell good stories. We tell good stories. Comedians, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, And also, there's, I was just telling this to someone the other day, like, um, we have to have our, like, 80% best be as good as other people's 100% because we're, we're impaired most of the time. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Harris was like winning Emmys. Yeah. Like so stoned. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, that's it, it, yeah. So and like this is what I Aziz Ansari is on our first episode and Sarah Silverman because they're talking about Harris and one of the things that he said he was like I'd rather have Harris in a room for twenty minutes 
like halfway there essentially mm-hmm. than like some bozo in the room full time who's like showing up on time and like doing all their work. <laughs> oh yeah, like, we get a lot. We get away with so much bullshit, right? Because we're right. charming and we're talented, and you know we can like do the dance. Da, 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 you yeah. know, like don't look over here, look over here. So why the self loathing, right? Um. I I think in some ways it's also part of the it's just part of the addiction. And one of the things I've said quite a lot in the rooms and I think I've even said on the show is I relapse on self-loathing um all the time. Like I haven't had a drink or a drug in 8 years, but I will take a shot of that self-loathing. That's the easiest mm-hmm. thing for me to reach for. <laughs> Cuz it's it's a habit. Mm-hmm. And it also it, it it works in quotes in the same way that chemicals work. It kind of numbs you out a little bit to like bury yourself in self-loathing because mm-hmm. also you think you can beat everyone to the punch. Right. Like you don't have to wait for them to tell you how terrible you are. You already know it. Right. Like, yep. It's comfortable. You already wrote that book. It's comfortable. Right. It's like I used to say this and when I was using and I can't I mean, God, I mean. I mean, there were other addicts and alcoholics who saw me and were like, yeah, she'll be here soon. Um, but it was like, you can say nothing to me that I haven't said to myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, people would ask me, like, how do you stand being online as a woman? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Try me. Yeah. Like, I hate myself so much. There's really nothing anyone could say to me that would, like, make me feel worse. And that yeah. is such a fucking cry for help. Like, someone should have, like, taken me by the hand and led me to a rehab or a 12-step meeting. Like, Mm-hmm. That is such a sign of alcoholic, addictive kind of thinking, you know. Um, and I think it's, you know, the vicious cycle of addiction is also that so when then chemicals numbed me out from that, right? But then because I used, I was like, well, that's another reason to hate myself. Yes, 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 yes. How many times can I say yes? Yes. <laughs> so... And also, it is a way of distancing people. I want to be clear. Like, I, while we have, I mean, we, empathy for addicts and alcoholics is so important. There's also, like, there's a mechanics to the way that we work, right? And there's, like, mechanics to the way the disease works. And some of it is just kind of manipulative. But I, it's not that we're being manipulative. You know, I do think it's kind of the disease in a way. And being self-loathing shuts you off from other people. You're not letting anyone else in to have a different opinion. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just easier that way. Right. Like he wasn't allowing you to love him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because he didn't think he deserved it, probably. 100%. Believing yeah. that you deserve love and deserve to be sober is to me 100% the thing that has to happen for someone to get sober. Like, I, when I look back on the story of my mom, honestly, like, that's the thing that breaks my heart. I think that she died not realizing, not believing that she deserved more. Ugh. Yeah. And I feel like that's, like, I've never thought, thought about that in terms of my brother but I think that's probably how he felt too (laughs) actually 
And that's to me like I could, you know, that is a tragedy that right now in this moment makes me angry, right? Because it's just it's infuriating to me that your brother I do I think that is how most addicts die. They die believing they didn't deserve it. You know. And he did. He did. Every human does. And that's it's like it's one reason I believe in grace, not to get too far afield of what we're talking about. But he did. You know, he deserved he deserved sobriety, not because of everything achieved. And this is a thing that I also feel like I can kind of be in touch with what his experience as an addict was, was, you know, I was a definitely an overachiever and I thought those things would make me love myself or make other people love me. And they didn't, of course. Right. So to me, that was just proof of just how unlovable I was. Right. Wow. Yeah. If I still don't like myself, even though I've accomplished all these things, well, I guess it's just sucks to be me, you know? Yeah. And I can see that in the experience of your brother, like Emmy winning, successful. Everyone, you know, thinks he's brilliant. I'm sure he got told that a lot. Oh, my gosh. Couldn't walk down the street. Like, oh my gosh, it's the most brilliant person. Hello. And he would be yeah. like, yeah, and I still hate myself. So I guess that's probably, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't I mean, that... you know, no, it, no, I, it's so wild how you, I mean, this is part of the thing with the podcast. It's like, I think about this stuff all the time. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like me not talking about it isn't going to make me not think about it. I'm thinking about it constantly. So it's like I'm either saying it out loud or I'm not. So, um, no, I, I appreciate that perspective. I really do. In fact, like one of the things I've loved about doing the show is getting to talk to the people who have addiction. And because I can't ask these things of my brother, mm-hmm. I like all I want to do is ask him questions. And like right after he died, I, I called it like the manic investigative phase. How many mm-hmm. text messages and emails and things can I read? that will fill me in and clue me in on what the fuck you were thinking when you did this, you know? And so I love talking to people who have various addictions because it gives me some insight into where he was. Because like you said, you know, he had to, he told me everything all the time. The only, when he started lying to me, the first time in our lives he started lying to me was when he was using. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that relationship with him. It was a really foreign relationship where like he was hiding things. And in fact, that Pete Holmes podcast that you brought up, when I heard that, I had heard things for the first time. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm hearing this for the first time on a podcast. What? Like, I'm your person. Why are why do I not know this? And it was just like this huge awakening. So I, I like talking about this stuff. I think that, you know, when Harris died in his backpack, he had an AA mm-hmm. book, the book. Yeah. He had his journal. He had a copy of Voltaire, <laughs> which I just love. Um, you know, that was, that was in his laptop, obviously. Um. And, you know, the thing about Harris is he, 
I do believe that he really, 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 really wanted to be sober. He really wanted to not use. Um, but I know that he, you know, went into, he, uh, like, you know, you were talking about your friend. He did a thousand different programs, you know, so many different things he tried. And his last program he went into, they offered him Vivitrol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are. I'm, your I, listeners I, are. I, my listeners probably aren't, but Vivitrol is a non-narcotic anti-craving medication. Yeah. And it's often used, some... it was used for alcoholics for a long time. I think it's still used for alcoholics. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was an option when I left rehab. They, as a matter of course, would ask you if you wanted to follow up with Vivitrol injections. Wow. Okay. Had no idea. See, you're 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 learning me things. Um, he was offered Vivitrol three times in his last sober living house, and he refused it every time. And what happened with him is that, and this is a story that I hear over and over, is that he went in, he did the detox, he did the rehab, he had this incredible supportive community around him. He felt loved. He felt valued. He felt like he was, you know, understood. And then he checked himself out. And because his tolerance had dropped, he went and did a comedy show. And then I assume used his normal dose or what he, you know, maybe he like adjusted it and he died and he was alone and he used alone. And, um, he sent an email to my mom and I don't know, you know, around 10 saying how lucky he felt and how loved he felt and how you know, all these great stuff and how he'd done the show and the Parks and Recreation series finale was coming up. She was going to love it. And then some point between 10 p.m. and the next day at noon, you know, he died. So, wow. So obviously, like we have many things to say to each other that this podcast <laughs> cannot possibly encompass. <laughs> Um, but one of the things like, why did I have her on my show? Right. (laughs) One of the things I'd like to offer is maybe some insight again, to speak to my experience and the experience of some of the people I know, I can't know for sure about your brother. One thing AA teaches you, by the way, is to just always kind of use that disclaimer. (laughs) Like it is a very, it's a very serious, there's, it's, um, that you cannot speak to someone else's experience is taken very seriously. Mm -hmm. You can offer your own experience, strength and hope. And that is all. But I will say that there is a saying in the rooms that the most dangerous time, most uh, the time when an addict or alcoholic is most likely to relapse is in the midst of success. Mm. And I've, I've seen that in myself and I've seen that in other people because we don't believe we deserve it. Mm. So I can exactly see how this happened for him. How it would have happened for me, at least. Feeling that love, feeling like you may have finally gotten the hang of it. Doing a comedy show, probably getting great feedback, right? Probably killed at the comedy show. Oh, yeah. And there's just some tripwire. And it's honestly, it's hard to even see for yourself. The self-sabotage like happens inside so deeply that you may not even be conscious that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. But to me, like the way that I kind of anthropomorphize it is the disease is like, uh oh, I better act quick. Right. You know, this person is almost, (laughs) 
you know, I'm, they've almost got rid of me. I better dig in. And Ugh. the thinking might be, will I deserve it? The thinking might be, I'm doing so well, this won't hurt. Mm-hmm. The just one more time. Just, just one, one more time. time. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing yeah. so well, no one will know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think at the bottom of that, at the base of all of those thoughts, is this firm belief, incorrect belief, that we just don't deserve the kind of happiness that sobriety offers. So, because I've seen it, I've just seen it so many times. And I'll say for again, for myself, like, this is not so true true as much for me now, like eight years in. But in my first couple years, um, the times when I felt the edgiest, I'd say, were in the midst of things going well. I'd have using dreams. I still, oh my God, I still have using dreams um, usually. Like I can, sometimes I can tell like <laughs> when things are going well was when I have a using dream. I'm like, oh, things must be awesome. Whoa. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, so so to your point, Harris had just gotten, like the week before, a role, like role of a mm. lifetime. He was supposed to play um, Aziz's best friend in Master of None, the mm. part that Eric Wareheim ended up playing. Um, he had wanted it. They made him audition. Like he had been, he was a writer on the show and he wrote, they wrote, the part and the character's was named was named Harris, <laughs> but he still had to audition for himself mm-hmm. to play the role of himself, or like all the people, the higher ups at Netflix or whatever. And mm-hmm. he got the part, and he was like, maybe this is like February twelfth or thirteenth, and he was so excited, and because he always wanted to act, you know, he he had a little bit role on Parks and Rec. He played the animal control guy, and he loved acting, and and so this was just like the biggest this was it like this was his big break thing you know he was really successful as a writer and a comedian but like this is what he wanted to do he got that he checked himself out and when I got to his computer he still had the tab open for the Airbnb that he had just booked for New York because he was going to move to New York the following week to start shooting the show yeah. So yeah. I mean, I mean, just none of ding, ding, ding. none of that surprises me at all. I also want to mention that sometimes what happens is when we're doing well, we lose grip of like why we're doing our program at all. Mm. Yes, um, because it is a life or death situation, and if you lose sight of that, if you think like, oh no, I've got a handle on it, this is no longer life or death for me. Like you, you're on your way to using. You know. Yeah. Like I am I am really, really fortunate that in some ways that I've had these tragedies happen around me because to me it will never I shouldn't say never. Um, up until this date, I have been able to keep very clear in my mind the idea that if I use I will die, that it is just just not an option to for it to be anything else. But can you know that and still use? Can't you know that you're going to die and then still um, use anyway? No, I don't think, not quite, I don't think. I think you're, you're one more time. Roll the dice. Mm-hmm. Right. At least that's, so my friend who's now sober, 
who almost died in front of me when we've talked about it. Because I'll be honest, he's like not quite like as like deep thinker as maybe you and I. Um, he's all the, I mean, he's super smart, charming, everything else, but like not given to tons of introspection. And when I asked him, like if he had a death wish, because I think part of my use, actually, there was part of me that wanted to die. Um, he said not consciously. He just always thought one more, this one more time. Yeah. One, one more time. Even when he knew the odds were really bad. I mean, as I shared with you earlier, like this person had actually used from the dope that he'd bought earlier in the day and had kind of a minor overdose using it. Um, so he should have known that there was, well, he did know. <laughs> I mean, there's no right, question about right. it. Like he right. knew that what he was using might be a little stronger than he was used to. Might It turned out to have been laced with fentanyl. Um, he knew. But he still was like, one more, you know. Yeah. The fentanyl stuff also is, you know, I, I need to clarify that we do talk about my brother in the first episode. You know, we talk mm-hmm. all about it. It's actually quite funny. We talk about his penis for a long time. Okay. Just, well, this is not. Tune in. Okay. Just tune in. I mean, all right. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's fun stuff. Good fun stuff. Um. But the show really is not about Harris's story because I yeah. felt like yeah. I had, we've, I've told that story. <laughs> I don't right. need to tell a story anymore. Um, but the person story we're telling, at least in the first half of the season, is somebody who did have an accidental fentanyl overdose. Mm-hmm. And um, it's actually my partner, Jess's brother. And th- the fentanyl is, uh, I mean, just, it's like, the, it's, it's, it is so deadly. Yeah. It is so fatal. And it's like this, we get into this whole stuff about, like, I mean, I have beliefs. I have, I have beliefs about, um, you know, decriminalizing. Oh, yeah. Regulating. Because if we could do that, then we could regulate. And, and you wouldn't think you were buying one thing that was actually another thing that if you shoot it, you're going to die. Or there would be very moments, clear you know? legal recourse and, and whereas yes. now that's kind of like a fuzzy area of the law, as I'm sure you know, like whether or not you can actually like hold drug dealers responsible for manslaughter or murder. Like, yep. I mean, it seems like, oh, yeah, of course you should be able to, but it's not. It's very fuzzy. And it's also, I think, not a good way to go about regulating this stuff. But No, I agree. Um, but a good way to regulate it would be to have a formal chain of supply where you yep. can really tell— who was responsible for this, for a bad product. Mm-hmm. And I know this must sound insane to some people. Accountability, <laughs> accountability. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think it does sound insane. It yeah. might have sounded insane to me at some point. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and I guess I, I got to say also again, as the IP, people are like, well, more, <laughs> more people will use if you do that. And I'm like, no, users are going to use. Right. Like, right. How it's seventy some seventy something thousand people died of opioid? Seventy two thousand is the 72. last statistic we have for for twenty seventeen. All of those? No, I shouldn't say all of those people, but um, people are going to use. They people are going to use, and they use illegal drugs because that's what they can get. Um, I, and I think I believe in safe injection sites. You know. Yep. Um, yep. I I think, and also you will. We're going to have to wind this up at some point. You know. <laughs> I do. 
unfortunately. If you are listening to this podcast, I have a convention for you. It's Politicon. I am going to be doing a panel and a live show there. Politicon is the unconventional political convention, and it will be in Nashville this year, October 26th and 27th. You can go to panels, town halls, expos, podcasts, Q&As, book signings, comedy, and more. Tickets are available at politicon.com. This is a fifth annual event. It is more popular than I ever would have predicted. I guess, you know, politics is now something of a sport, whether for good or ill. And people like to get together and just talk about it. (laughs) It is entertaining and sometimes unorthodox and sometimes, I'm going to say enraging is actually a good word here. I don't think they're going to get mad if I use the word enraging Um, because I also can say engaging. So across five stages, attendees can get up close and personal with political heavyweights while reveling in endless humor and exhilarating conversation. That's, of course, describing my show. Saturday at 3 p.m., I'll be on the panel The Cult of Trump alongside Kurt Bardella, Dr. Jonathan Metzel, Ellie Mistal, and David Weissman. And then Saturday at 5 p.m., I will have a surprise guest and we'll be recording a live episode of With Friends Like These. You can buy tickets to see this live taping and the panel at politicon.com. So safe injection sites, um, legalization, prescription, perhaps, Um, because the other thing that I'm I know you I'm fairly certain you've gotten to this place, which is that you cannot bargain someone or threaten someone into getting sober. You Uh, no. you, you cannot you cannot be like, well, you'll go to jail, you know, nope, that's not going to do it. Um, no. That person just has to want to because they're because they don't want to anymore. And I know that sounds kind of cr- like again, people may not understand or think that sounds crazy, but when people get sober, I often say it's because everyone hits bottom on the inside, and we have different bottoms on the outside. But what happens is on the inside, you're like, I just can't fucking do this anymore, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. And everyone, there are so many different reasons. I have talked to people. I have met people who are homeless and still haven't hit bottom, you know, homeless and sick who still haven't hit bottom. And I've met people who all that happened is that their spouse found out. And that was enough. You know, like, yeah, it, it, there's something that happens on the inside. And no, we're, if we could bottle it, that would be great. If we could figure out what it was, that would be great. But until then... My feeling to get back to these policy things is people are just it's you might as well make it as safe as possible. Yeah. And it really does come down to policy. It really, 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 really does. Yeah. Maybe that's actually a good place for us to end this. um, If you do want to talk about policy. policy. (laughs) Um, Because it's in me. People are like, okay, click. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Good night. Um, and I guess, I mean, you can maybe make a pitch for yourself, but um, I guess I would encourage people, like, there is things you could—this is not hopeless. There are things you can do. There are things that voters, citizens can do. Um, the thing that I would offer just right away, we've sort of mentioned it before, get trained on Narcan. You know, yeah. um, have it with you if you work downtown somewhere, you know. 
Um, library. Library. Yes, exactly. Uh, convenience stores. My God. We, again, like you probably, like once I found out all about this culture, like, man, like mm. the tricks people have, the places people use. Yes. Libraries, convenience store bathrooms. Yeah. You know, whatever. If you are in those spaces, then you you may come across someone who's overdosing, you know, like, and you could save that person's life. And it's not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal to save someone's life, but it's not a big deal to have Narcan. It's so easy to get trained on. Like, yeah, it's just a nasal spray. Yep. It's literally, it's, it's not, you don't even have to do mouth to mouth. No. Well, maybe you do. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no. I'm not going to make promises. But mostly you don't. And it is like, right. it's, and it also, it's very, like, I have to say, so having seen it, <laughs> it's incredibly satisfying. <laughs> like, yeah. Because people don't know this, maybe it works right away. If it's going to work. Right. It like, it's like, boom, like all of a sudden the person is back. So that's not why you should do it, but it is like a great there's thing. a payoff there's a payoff, there's a payoff. yes well you we, will... we talk to like first responders and er doctors in the show and they talk about this moment and how there's nothing this er doctor said there's nothing in medicine nothing that comes close to the dramatic reversal that you see when you administer narcan yeah it's like that scene in um, pulp fiction it is they, it is although the, like that's the either you don't have to inject a huge needle into someone's heart that is not the part <laughs> right, that's <exactly>. real <laughs> <laughs> that is not the part exactly. that's real. The part that's real is, yeah, like it's boom. Like all of a sudden that person was gone and now they're now they're back. It's, but I do have to also caveat that with you then need to rush them to an oh, emergency yes, 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 room. Sorry. Because yes, it, it yes. only lasts for like a short time. Yes. And then it wears off. So so do the Narcan and then get them some, uh, you know, help, medical yeah. help. So I would say, so for me, like, that's a no-brainer. Um, what else would you, would you say people, you would like people, if they are like, this seems like a too big a thing, I don't know how to get my head around it, and I don't know how to help? Yeah. I think if you're dealing with it on personal level in your family, people always ask, what, what do I do? What do I do? Oh, I wasn't even going to ask you that, honestly, to be honest. Like, I was like... <laughs> Thank you. Because there's, like, no good answer, and, they're, and the good yeah. answers people don't want to hear. Right, right. I so know. you can go yeah, ahead and just, say what you can go ahead. But like, I mean, I was going to start really small, which is just like, you know, find like find an addiction medicine specialist, talk to a professional, like if there, find a community, find, you know, there, you don't have to basically be in the space by yourself. You know, there are people that can help. I think that's just sort of on the, like the, the micro level on the macro level. Again, like I hate to bore people, but <laughs> Like, I think it does come down to elections. Yeah, it does. No, totally it does. Policy, money, where we're putting it. Uh, you know, people love to talk about the opioid crisis. It's such a cool talking point. Um, you know, but like if if some candidate like isn't supportive of Medicaid and health care and equal access for access for health care and uh, then yeah. we're not going like, to... Oh, yeah. People should know treatment of, of all this stuff went way up because the n- number one way people access treatment care in the U.S. is through Medicare. Yep. That is the, a true fact. Um, well, I'm going to have to check it, but I'm pretty damn sure that's true. Um, I think it's like a third. Yeah. Yeah. The, I had another thing I was going to say about... Oh, when people ask, like, what can I do? I have a, I have a loved one. Um, I'm going to kind of... Just frame what you said a little differently. Please do. 
which is get help for yourself. Mm, that too. Put your <laughs> oxygen mask on first. You deserve it too. You deserve help too. And you don't have to do this by yourself. And you can't do it by yourself, in fact. No. And there is also no. nothing you can, well, the hard truth is there's nothing you can do. Yes. Um, and so actually what you need to do is prepare yourself for the powerlessness <laughs> that you will be experiencing. And then be Amen. ready to help when that help is asked for. Ugh, yes. You know. Yes. Bravo. I'm giving you a standing over. <laughs> that is so, it's, do you, now, okay, this craft method, you know, do you know about this craft Mm-mm. method? Have you heard? You're, you're using all the, like, it's, you know, it's basically this guy, Robert Myers, who created this method. And we talked to him on the show. It's called Community Reinforcement and Family Training. And he has... Uh, the CSO, the Concerned Significant Other, uh-huh. uh, in in therapy with him. And that's where he starts. Like right. So his, his intervention model is not that we start with the IP. It's that you start with the family member and they're getting therapy. And what he helps them do is to not do this like classic thing you see on TV. Like I love, I love the show. Oh, another reason we need to TV. do this. Another reason but we need to like, do this. Oh my God. It's like, could not be further from like, let's put, let's trap someone in a room, tell them all the oh terrible things they've ever done. Give them a series of ultimatums. So when I was in rehab, we used to watch intervention and like, laugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> so it, was like, it was like our, oh, one of the things painful. we could all agree on. Like it's such a wide range of people that you meet in rehab. Really? It is. It is. I don't know what kind of endorsement that is, but we couldn't agree on much as far as TV goes, but intervention, it was like, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Well, it's so funny because I was listening to a clip, like the audio of it to play yeah. on the show mm-hmm. and just listening to the audio and the music they're using. Yeah. I was just like, this is unbelievable. It's not going to. Just- oh, I should add it that actually I do feel like the counselors in that show kind of get it, but just the way the show works is, is hilarious. Yes. Like the individual counselors seem to understand, but for sure, for sure. It's just the concept of the show is what, you know, and also like, whatever, like, (laughs) yeah, Um, Yeah. but yes, Harris and I loved that show. We used to watch it together constantly because it's great TV, but it's not, it's not like real life guys. It's not how it should be done. Um, Um, But anyway, yeah, this method, like he talks about like getting help for yourself and, you know, that that you're not you're not tethered to whether or not the person is going to go to treatment or not. You mm-hmm. know, that you you deserve a good life. Like you're saying. You deserve yeah, a good exactly. life. Yeah, um, exactly. You deserve a good life. And also having a good life puts you in a position to be able to help if that person wants help. Yeah. That is I mean, that's how it works. But then you also have to let go of of that person ever asking. That's actually that's the <laughs> yep. Yep. There's the rub, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's a yeah. Uh, Some people find help through Al-Anon, by the way. And Al-Anon is not Mm -hmm. AA for I know every I think everyone kind of assumes it's just another word for AA. And they did do a terrible job naming it. Um, But Al-Anon is for the family and loved ones of addicts and alcoholics. And there's also you probably know, is it what's the NA one? There's one especially for Narcotics Anonymous. Do you know what it is? I don't. I didn't think it was something different. Yeah, well, there's... 
another, we could play AA inside or 12-step inside baseball about this, but um, I don't think there should be. But some people do want kind of the identification that comes with having similar problems. And I understand that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. being able to talk about some of the specifics that come with drug addiction as opposed to alcohol addiction. But I think Al-Anon is, you, your loved one can be addicted to anything. And in, I believe Al-Anon will be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um I also should say, oh God, I have so much to say, I have so much to say about Al-Anon too. Like, um, uh, do you know what the official Al-Anon salute is? No. Pointing a finger. What? You're pointing a finger. It's you. <laughs> it's you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Inside alcoholic humor. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, I never went to an Al-Anon meeting. Never no. did it. Well, never so, it. you know, I have so much to say. Like, it's, I, but it was helpful to me, too. I should say it was helpful to me when, when, when I really needed more than the support of just um, my 12-step program. I added an additional 12-step program, and that was very helpful. But now... <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> mm. All right, so you're gonna get you're gonna call me back about that. Um, watching movies featuring addiction show. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I can't wait. I this is gonna be the greatest experience of my life doing this show. <laughs> doing the that show. Be like my rage. No, oh, like yeah. no, doing our show. Oh, okay. Our show that doesn't exist yet. Right. Where we where we bash um all of the portrayals. Yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, it's oh, like God, gonna so be good. like. Oh, gosh, I have a lot of rage to get out. And I feel like this will be where it it's like one of those rooms where you go in and like beat things. Yeah. Except like watching things. Like, I guess you guys could do it, right? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be an excellent show on your network, I'm guessing. So, all right. If any of the Crooked staff is listening, um, I think it's in my contract that I could do this. So, um, we can do it. All right. So we'll have to have you on again. Um, This is the first season of your show, correct? Um, And it's tackling the opioid epidemic. But you did mention epidemics. I guess just before we go, I wanted Mm -hmm. to to make sure people understand that this is not just about the opioid epidemic, that you are thinking about epidemics in general. So, yeah, that is a that's a good question. We start with opioids in season one. And then, uh, and we really focus, we really deep dive in it. We found that everyone wants to report on opioids, but there's, we we want to do it for 25 episodes. You know, we want to really go there. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to wrap that up. And um, the idea is that at the end of the season, we we sit down and say like, what did, did, what did we get? What did we learn? Do we know anything? Did anything happen? Do we have progress? <laughs> do we have hope? And then we wrap and we go into another epidemic for season two. Uh, that is also destroying people and that's hard to discuss and getting worse and feels oppressive and big numbers. And I have an idea of what that will be. Oh, okay. Um, All right. This is going to be a big reveal. I was waiting for the thing, but no. Yeah, I have an idea of what that will be, but I don't want to say it because things always change. Okay. And And also, yeah, you need need a season, you need a a cliffhanger of some kind. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. I... We'll let you know if I listen to your show. I really, I really. Do you feel like you're closer? I do. Now that we've I had do. this talk. I do, I do, I do. It's just, it's like, you know, I mean, it's funny. Like, I, I'm so in such a better place. And my relationship with this person is like, that person's sober now. And like, 
I've I there you because there used to be time I couldn't go a day without thinking about it. Um, you know now that's no no longer true. Uh, we'll see. I think I'm almost there. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm getting there. I value your time and the fact that you had me on to talk about something that is so charged and that can be really triggering, you know? Um, But I, I feel like what I hope people can get out of our conversation is that you're able to talk about these things in a way that, you know, no one's like falling on the floor and melting down. You know what I mean? We had many laughs. Yeah. And that's, you're going to find that in the show because that's humanity. Like I have, I'm laughing all the time when I'm, you know, dying inside. That's how, that's how we do things. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Okay. All Uh, right. That is uh, laughing all the time while dying, all the time while dying inside. Not the way I wanted in the show, but I still thank you for being here and I will talk to you again, Stephanie. I can't wait. Thank you. And that is it for the show. If you have ever wondered why I always end the show with the admonition to take care of yourself, that is why. It is because we have to put our own oxygen mask on first. And if you are in need of an oxygen mask uh, and you're listening to this show, you are probably pretty internet savvy. So I will just encourage you to look up the information for Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous. AA does see people with any kind of addiction, by the way, but some are more comfortable in the rooms of NA that's more explicitly about drugs than alcohol. And then... For those of you with loved ones who are in the grip of addiction, there is Al-Anon. It is not AA. It is for the friends, family members, and loved ones of those with addiction. I have benefited so much, basically, from all of those groups. I went to NA for a while myself, and I've been to, obviously, (laughs) AA and Al-Anon, and I highly encourage you to reach out to those places. And if you feel weird about using a hotline to get help, I will tell you two things. One is that I know someone who's now seven years sober because she called a local AA hotline. That was her first step. And two, I actually volunteer sometimes for the hotline here. And you are actually helping someone else stay sober if you call. So if not for yourself, but yes, for yourself, if you need help, take care of yourself.